privilege uh, to stand here before you this morning. How many of you were at the early service? Okay. The thing, if there was enough of you, I'd just have you talk amongst yourselves. Uh, but it is an honor and a privilege uh, to stand before you to bring you the Word of God. Uh, when I think of all the people who could be up here, I wonder why Pastor Brent asked me. Uh, I, I wonder if actually he called, he thought he was calling Frank Bell, and before he realized it, I'd already said yes. Uh, but it is good to stand here. Maybe you remember uh, the last time I spoke, if you were here, I took a picture uh, that, I, that I texted to uh, Pastor Brent while he was away, but I had you all look like you were sleeping. Well, this time I took a, a picture before you all came in. In fact, my, I had my wife sit here in the front row, so it's her and just a couple other people. So the text says, about to deliver the message in the second service, hoping a few more people trickle in. <laughs> so there, I, I just hit send. Uh, you know. The other thing that I, I did to Pastor Brent, and this will be on videotape, but that's okay, uh, we had started talking a couple of weeks ago about the Red Letter series and what I might speak about this morning. And so we've passed ideas back and forth, and, and he finally just said, you know, I trust you. Go with whatever you want. That's not something you say to me. <laughs> and it got me thinking. So I decided to do something that I've not run by Pastor Brent. None of those ideas. I decided this morning, being in front, I would be able to give you my opinion on the past election and my feelings about the president-elect. Okay, now you've had your post-Halloween scare, right? Okay, my family is sitting there white-knuckled, wondering where we're going to go to church next week. Uh, but the best part is Pastor Brent's going to hear that, he's going to faint right away. Uh, he won't hear the rest of the message. Uh, I love having fun. You know, before we get started, I, I found this $20 bill, and it's, it's not brand new, but it's pretty new. I mean, it's in excellent condition. I just, does anybody want this? Any, boy, okay, okay, you can have it. All right, Edna, one of my favorite people in the whole world, you can have this $20 bill, but not yet, not yet. Um, now you have two obligations. One, to stay to the end of the service, and two, to say good things about it, okay? I'm paying you $20 for that. So, actually, I came across some verses a few weeks ago, and they are very familiar to me and probably very familiar to you, but because of the circumstances that I was in, I saw them in a completely different light. And so, I, I titled this message, The Paradox of Scars. You know what a paradox is, right? You know what a paradox is? Shake your head, you with me? Here's a good example. One figure says, I am a paradox. The other one says, no, you're not. The first one says, exactly. Ooh. Okay, let it, let it fly around a little bit. Let it circle, because that's what a paradox is. It's a seeming contradiction that is nonetheless true. So when he says, I am a paradox, no, you're not. Yeah, exactly. 
That's the paradox. Well, a student was near the end of his training, and he confronts his master. And he walks in, and as he approaches the master, he says to the master, the bird in my hand, is it dead or alive? Well, the master sees the contradiction. He sees the paradox. See, if he says that the bird is alive, the student crushes the bird and produces him dead. But if he says that the bird is dead, the student opens his hands and the bird flies away. The master pauses for a few moments and he says to the student, you've asked me whether the bird in your hand is dead or alive. The answer to that question, my friend, is in your hands. Last week I officiated at the funeral of a 46-year-old man who died of an accidental drug overdose. As I was preparing the message, I came across these verses, these red-letter words of Jesus. And because of that situation, I saw them in a little different light. And so Jesus says to Thomas, the disciple, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. The situation is that Jesus has died. He was crucified. And can you imagine, or, or maybe that's the best we can do, is just imagine the pain and the despair that came over those disciples. They'd been with this man for about three years. They'd seen miracles. They had hung on every word of his teaching. They grasped at what we call those red-letter words. But now he's dead. He's dead. All of those things that they had heard and seen and experienced now come into question. They begin to doubt. Now they have fear. In fact, one little verse says that they start to go back to the traditions that they were raised with. I call them Saturday disciples because in between the death and the resurrection, there is this time of despair, of doubt, and of fear. They've heard and grasped all the good things that Jesus has said and done, but now that just seems like a distant future. They've encountered the Christ, but he just doesn't seem real anymore. But then, in the midst of that despair and doubt, Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. He comes back. And he presents himself first to some women, a couple on a road to Emmaus and the disciples. But in these appearances, Thomas isn't there. Thomas isn't there. And they tell him, Jesus is alive. He's been resurrected, just as he said. He's come back to life. And Thomas says, no, I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I see him. And in fact, to make sure it's not a trick, I won't believe it unless I see the scars. I touch his hand, I feel his side, I need to see the scars to prove that this Jesus is really the Jesus. And so Jesus appears to him and says, Here, touch, feel, it's me. Suddenly, everything that Jesus had said 
is true. Suddenly now, all of those red-letter things that he said before his death, by his resurrection, they're proved true. And in fact, by his resurrection, even the black letters are true. The whole story is true. And it changes us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. You know, back when I was in college, and I know some of you are are young enough that you didn't know they had college back then, uh, but they did. And, And when I was in college, there was this argument that kind of went around. Who are you? How did you become who you are? And so the argument was, some would say you are who you are is determined by genetics. It's all genetic predisposition and genetic programming, and that forces you into who you are. And others would say, no, it's your experience. It's the things that you've been through, those things that have influenced your life to become who you are. And so the argument was, you know, how much of each influences who we've become. But there's something that science overlooks. They overlook the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I know I'm not the product of just genetics. I can't deny that there's genetics here. I can't deny that my past experiences have some influence. But the greatest influence on me is what I believe about the future. Do I believe that Jesus died for my sins? Yes. And I believe that by dying for my sins, he has promised me a future. And so my life isn't just determined by the past, but my life is determined by my hope of the future. I believe Jesus Christ will come again and establish God's kingdom. And knowing that changes who I am today. It changes the way I interpret things today. It changes my vision and my understanding. Jesus says to Thomas, He's revealed himself, and Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. Amen. That having not seen, we can read the stories knowing every word is true, and we believe. I was thinking about Jesus, the the glorified Lord and Savior. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, when I read the story of the resurrection, he's the resurrected Lord and Savior, raised in glory. But I read these words, he had scars. I never equated scars with perfection before. But he's raised in perfection, but still has the nail prints in his hands and feet, the wound from his side where he was pierced and water and blood flowed. And I wondered, why was he resurrected with scars? Why weren't they done away with? Well, was it just for Thomas, to prove to Thomas he was who he says he was? I think those scars were for all of us, and that these are important words of Jesus Christ. I got to thinking about scars, my own scars. When I was Younger, I had a fight with the table saw, and I have some really neat scars on these two fingers. I got touched in the knee with a chainsaw. I have some scars, and this finger was crushed in the fan belt of a commercial lawnmower. There's some scars there. I had neck surgery a few years ago, and 
You know, but all of those scars, for us guys, those scars are like badges of honor, right? We get together and we say, look at this scar. Oh, yeah, well, look at this. And then it's like, yeah, well, let me show you my appendectomy, you know? <laughs> and we start showing off our scars. That's how we are. And women, you know, use makeup, right? <laughs> when my knee got touched with the chainsaw, I had this nice gash where you could see my uh, uh, kneecap. And the doctor looks at me, and because I'd had previous stitches, how many of you had stitches? You know the pain, not just the, not of the stitches, but the shot they give you to deaden the pain, and that's worse than the stitches. So when I had my knee touched with the same saw, he says it's going to take 12 to 15 stitches. And he gets the shot right. I said, I don't want a shot. He says, what do you mean? I said, that shot can't be, you know, any, or that shot can't, the stitches can't be worse than that shot. Just give me the stitches. He says, true. He says to me, well, I can put four stitches that will hold it. And then we'll, we'll bandage it real tight, but it'll leave quite a scar. I told him I can wear opaque pantyhose, right? <laughs> this, you know, I wasn't that concerned with the scar. I was more concerned with the pain. Well, we have those physical scars, but then we have the emotional scars, even spiritual scars uh, that go deeper, that are below the surface, the ones that we don't talk about, the wounds that are old, but the pain's fresh, and it causes ongoing questions and doubts and fears. It affects our thinking, all those things that remind me that sometimes cause me to act like a Saturday disciple. And I could tell you about some of my, those scars. I could be vulnerable and, and tell you about times that I've been hurt, times when I've been rid riddled with guilt, circumstances that have changed the way I see things, those scars that are below the surface. And the truth is, if you knew everything there is to know about me, you wouldn't sit there and listen to me. But that's okay, because if I knew everything there is to know about you, I wouldn't talk to you in the first place. <laughs> see, we keep those things hidden. Now, I want to show you uh, the problem with scars we can have the picture. Now take a look at that picture for just a few minutes. Just kind of gaze at it. See what you see. How many of you see the triangle? See the triangle in the upper right-hand corner? Triangle? The interesting thing about that triangle is it's not there. There's no triangle there. What you have is a, a, a bunch of Pac-Man-like figures facing in different directions, and it just so happens that three of them are so facing each other that you invent a triangle there. But it's just Pac-Man figures. See, that's what scars do. That's what the emotional and spiritual pain that we feel, that's what it does. It causes us to see things that aren't really there. You see a triangle because of your history of understanding shapes. And because you know what shapes are and you've had that experience, you see a triangle that isn't there. See, that's what scars, that's what pain does. The emotional and, and spiritual problems we face, they cause us to see things in our life that isn't there. We have the blank spaces during experiences that are then influenced by what's happened before, and it influences and affects us. And those scars that we try to keep hidden come to the surface again. 
and we feel the pain in circumstances where the pain wouldn't necessarily be there. Also, the other problem with pain is scars can, can cause a serious medical condition. You can't really read it down here, so I'll read it for you. It's a, a, a doctor and patient, and the doctor has come back and says, you tested positive for being negative. <laughs> a few, few weeks ago, Pastor Brent showed a picture of himself in the dentist office. I, I wish I would have known or prepared ahead of time to where I could have got into my doctor and had a picture of, of me and the doctor, because my wife will tell you that this is a true story, you know. But what happens is those negative experiences that we have, the scars on our soul, revisit us and can start to cloud our judgment, impair our vision, so that we start to live life through the scars instead of the actual experiences. I thought about Bible characters. I thought, what Bible characters have scars? And as I read the stories, they all have scars. And I, re- I went to chapter 11. Here's a, a, the book of Hebrews. Here is a list of faithful people throughout the Old Testament. And I start looking at them, and it's scarred individuals, scarred individuals. And I saw Joseph. He was a scarred individual. He was the 11th of 12 brothers. Nine of his oldest siblings wanted to kill him. One came to his rescue. So he isn't killed, but he's sold into slavery. Okay, now I just want to step out of the story for a second. How many of you have older siblings? Have older siblings? Do you remember the first time you heard the story of Joseph? Yeah, did it make you think a little bit? <laughs> I, was like, I was like five or six years old, and my mother is my Sunday school teacher, and I hear the story of Joseph, and I start thinking. I've got an older brother and two older sisters. You know, I, it wasn't until I was junior high and my older siblings are moving out of the house that I quit looking over my shoulder. Right? I was scarred by the story of Joseph's scars. So he isn't, he isn't killed by nine of his brothers, but he's sold into slavery. And he is sold into slavery, goes into Egypt. And he rises through the ranks. He's sold as a slave to Potiphar who is the captain of the guard of Egypt, and he starts to rise through power, and he becomes second in command to Potiphar himself in that household. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Joseph runs. But she's been rejected, and she lies about Joseph, and through no fault of his own, Joseph winds up in prison. Now, now here's the thing. Joseph did exactly the right thing. When faced with temptation, he ran. But because someone else lied about the situation, he paid the price, and he goes to prison. Might that leave a scar? He's in prison a few years, and then he gets the opportunity to get out of prison because Pharaoh's had some dreams, and he can interpret the dreams. So now he goes to Pharaoh, he interprets the dreams, and he starts to rise again through power too. And now he's second in the command to Pharaoh over all of Egypt. And there's a famine in the land, and his brothers, who sold him into slavery, come because they need food. And they don't recognize who Joseph is. I mean, Joseph has been long gone. Joseph recognizes his brothers. Ah, you put yourself in Joseph's place, right? Right? Here's my chance for retribution. 
This is what my brothers did to me. I've lived with the scars. I've overcome them. But I have these scars. Here's my chance to get back at my brothers. But Joseph has what might be called 50-20 vision. 50-20 vision. Because in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says this. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 50-20 vision. Joseph says, you meant evil toward me, but God has used it for good. Doesn't change what you did to me, but it changes the way I see it and understand it. And understand that there is no evil that can come upon me that God's goodness can't overcome. Amen? Some would say that scars show us where we've been. But Joseph would say, scars show us how far we've come in a positive light. Maybe that's why Jesus was raised with scars, to show us that he had overcome, that, Joseph, that Jesus had 50-20 vision, that he could see through the crucifixion to the resurrection that he could see that what was meant for evil, God would use for good. In a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity to take communion. The, disciple had been, the disciples had been selling the, celebrating the Passover all their lives. I mean, it was a tradition in the Jewish community that had been passed down for a thousand years, over a thousand years. And so, the disciples knew all, their, all about Passover. In fact, it was a formal dinner. By the time of Jesus, that Passover was a formal service. And it, it had an order of service, but there was even a script that was followed. But on this Passover, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus changed it. A thousand-year-old tradition, and Jesus makes changes. And he takes some bread, and he says... This bread is my body, broken for you. And then he takes a cup and says, this cup, this, this wine, is the blood of a new covenant, poured out for you. And in both cases, he says, when you drink and when you eat, do this in remembrance of me. Sometimes we stop there. And we say, oh, that's, this is what communion's all about, remembering the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's a part of it. But in the three gospel accounts of communion and in the uh, book of 1 Corinthians where Paul gives instructions concerning communion, they add a phrase. Jesus says, I will not eat or drink again until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. See, the Passover was, was a meal that looked back at the history. It told the story of the Israelites being delivered from slavery out of Egypt. And part of communion is to look back and say, Jesus has delivered us from slavery to sin. He died, was buried, and was resurrected for our victory. Praise the Lord, right? But how he changed communion was he said, I won't do this again until I do it new with you in the kingdom. So it isn't just looking back. Now it's looking forward. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. He has become the Lord of all. His resurrection shows that he's Lord of all. That means he's Lord of the past. 
That means that when I look back at my life, when I look at the disciples in their Saturday situation, Jesus is Lord of that. And it changes the whole understanding of that despair. He's Lord of the here and now. And he's Lord of my future. And because of that resurrection, I can trust that story from beginning to end. And I can look forward with confidence to the hope of the return of Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. That changes everything. Isaiah 53 says, But he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. There's a little change that happens in chapter 53. If you go back and read that section called The Suffering Servant, begins in chapter 52 and continues through chapter 53, it's all written in the past tense. This is what Jesus did. In the section that I read, he was, he was wounded. He was crushed. Upon him was the chastisement. His, his stripes, we are healed. He poured out his soul. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin. And then the last phrase, and makes intercession for the transgressors. See the difference? Here's what he did. Here's what he's doing. Because he is alive, he has accomplished that task to heal us. And now in our condition, where we still live with scars, he makes intercession for us right now in this condition. Amen. So what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with our scars? How do we get 50-20 vision, that that which was meant for evil in my life, those scars God can use for good. He was beaten for your benefit. He was wounded for your healing. He was killed for your sins. He died to save you. And he was risen, and he has promised to return. The Bible tells us, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. Those things that were meant for evil in your life, God can use for good. What will you do with the scars? What will you do with Jesus? The answer to that question, my friend, is in your hands. Now, let's not forget about the $20 bill, right? Edna, you still want it? Still want it? You do want it? Okay, so you can have it. You can have it. It's yours. Come on. I said I, I, said I would give it to you, and I, I did so. So you can have it, okay? But not quite yet. Not quite yet. Just a second here. Here's you. Right, no, don't go too far. Don't go too far, because I've crumbled all up now. There you go. You still want it? Okay, well, just just second. Go on it. Go on it.
You still want it. You still want it. Why do you still want it? It's still worth $20. All right, there you go. That's yours. Okay. Get this. If you get nothing else, get this. You may feel crumbled up. You may feel stepped on, and you may feel dirty. You may feel torn apart. You may feel scarred. But none of that decreases your value to him and what he has done for you. The paradox is that his scars promise our victory. They are our passport to citizenship in his kingdom. And may he receive all the honor and the glory and praise. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the victory of Jesus Christ, that it not just speaks to our past, but it speaks to our future. Father, that anything that has been brought evil into our lives, anything that brings doubts and fears, anything that causes us to be a Saturday disciple, Father, you have given the victory through Jesus Christ. And we claim that victory, Father, that we may understand that in our scars you can bring good. And we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You have probably received your uh, uh, connection cards, and we want to just.